Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. Manning the equipment as usual is Aaron Keller. And we also have, this is a very special day, because we have two Jesses, Jess Wolf and Jess Height. And Jess was our former, Jess Height, excuse me, was our former urban wildlife coordinator. And Jess Wolf has recently taken the role. So welcome, you two. This is exciting. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. And I don't know if people fully understand when I say urban wildlife coordinator, it's probably gibberish to them. It doesn't make any sense. So can one of you explain what an urban wildlife coordinator does? Uh, yeah. So, you know, as cities continue to expand, there's uh, more people in, in the urban areas and we just have a lot more interactions with humans and wildlife and uh, more interactions prompts more questions, more uh issues with wildlife so that's kind of my former job and Jess's whole job is uh, just kind of teaching people about living with wildlife how to interact with them safely and responsibly and it's becoming a more and more important and I feel like critical role within the department as we urbanize more yeah absolutely it's something that's definitely never going to go away as you know human populations continue to expand as do animal populations it's going to be something that grows forever Exactly. Pretty so good job security. It is. <laughs> so Jess, could you explain how long you were urban wildlife coordinator and what you're doing now? And then we'll get to Jess Wolf. Uh, so I was the urban wildlife coordinator for three years and was uh, lucky enough to transition into a slightly different role of wildlife education coordinator. So now my whole job is just teaching people about wildlife of all kinds. So there's still a little bit of overlap, but um, just teaching people all about loving Nevada's wildlife. And so all of the fun events at Oxbow... Yes, absolutely. All that stuff, that's all you. Yes, so I run the Oxbow Nature Study area. We have all kinds of community events and lots of school programs. Um, so definitely go check out the Oxbow Facebook page, and you can see all of the fun events we're doing all summer long. Nice. Okay, and then Jess Wolf, you started the urban wildlife job um, during a very busy time. Yeah, definitely. Um, right now it's springtime. Um, lots of baby animals, and that's a, a lot of what we get our calls about are um, baby birds coming out of the nest, maybe um, fledglings that are just on the ground, um, baby fawns, all that sort of stuff. So it's a pretty busy season for us right now, for sure. Well, welcome to the job. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sure you were greeted with many calls. Oh, yes. It's great. I love it. I was <laughs> saying we also get Facebook messages, so I would always message Jess Height. And I still sometimes just out of habit message her. <laughs> so, but luckily you guys have the same name and <laughs> makes it easy for everyone. Yeah. So, um, what advice would you give to people to maybe help? I feel like sometimes they don't need to call us, but they do. And what would help you that people could do? Um, so a lot of times people are super concerned about baby wildlife and I am too. Like they are pretty fragile and I totally understand the concern. But I think that one thing that people need to keep in mind is that their parents are going to always be their best caregivers. Um, humans don't do a great job with baby animals. Uh, we just don't know what they need, whereas their parents can teach them 
for instance, how to be a duck or how to be a deer. Um, so keeping in mind that um, and making sure that they do everything that they can to leave those animals alone and let their parents be the best caretaker that they can be. And then I know one thing we get a lot this time of year is people think that they've found an injured baby animal and really it's not injured at all and its parents are probably somewhere nearby. Yeah, totally. Um, birds in particular, they go through a fledging phase um, and they'll, they have feathers on them and they'll actually be on the ground for a couple days, a week or so. Um, they're getting their big wing muscles. They're learning how to kind of find food and forage on their own. And their parents are often nearby watching over them, just maybe not right there, right next to them the entire time. Okay. Is there other types of wildlife we see this happening a lot with too? Yeah, absolutely. Deer in particular um, are often found, quote unquote, abandoned, um, but baby deer are um, left by their mothers um, while their moms go off to forge because they're not as strong, fast, all that good stuff, and they're born scentless. Um, so their moms will actually just leave them in some tall grass. Um, they're scentless so predators can't find them, and then they have those little spots on them which mimic um, the shadows coming down from trees and stuff like that. So they're actually really well protected, and their parents will actually come back and pick them up and go off wherever they need to go. And I think I always picture this. I think it was a comic book article that we featured on our Facebook like a year ago. And um, it's two deer looking at a baby playing in a sandbox, like a human baby. And then the door of the house is open. And they're like, this sounds stupid. I can't explain it. You need to see the comic. <laughs> it's two deer looking at a baby. Like, should we go save it? And that's the same as what we are when we see a baby. Yeah fun and we want to go save it they're cute for a reason um, and that's so that we take care of them but wild animals don't need us to take care of them they need their parents to take care of them so is there ever a situation where we should jump in and help um honestly most of the time it's best to just kind of let nature take its course you know uh, mother nature is a very complex creature and it's and it's typically best if you know a human or um, an animal is in, in immediate danger for us to just kind of get out of the way and just let mother nature do her thing okay so maybe monitor it from afar if you really Definitely. really feel like you need to keep your pets away from it and it's about all you could do yeah absolutely as hard as it is um, and usually that like you've been saying that's going to give them a better shot mm -hmm. at life anyways so exactly win-win absolutely hopefully <laughs> that's what we hope for so what are some of the other calls you get um one that i've been getting a lot recently um is cats and cats bringing in baby wildlife um, oh, cats have a tendency to do that um so definitely if you have cats right now is the time that you should keep it inside for sure um, because they can find those baby animals and bring them in. And then you have a baby bunny and you don't know where the nest is. And it, that's never a fun situation to have. So that is something I, growing up, I, I had cats and I dealt with that a lot. Like they would bring in, like I had a, it was a baby bird and it was completely featherless. So we knew it hadn't fledged. <laughs> um, so what do you do in that situation with the young wildlife? Try and find um, where your cat got it from because again their parents are going to be the absolute best caretaker for it um, if you can find the nest put it back in the nest um, whether it be a bunny or a bird up in the trees um, really just try and get that 
baby back to where your cat found it. And even if you can't find the you know actual nest or it's too high up or something like that, you can always make a, a makeshift nest and put it elevated from the ground somewhere in the shade that it's going to be safe from other predators is, is still a better option than you trying to take care of it yourself. And we've had a call like that before and the person could not find the nest. So they're like, we just took it to a rehabber, mm-hmm. but it probably, I was... I was like, for future, (laughs) for the future, just know that you could actually make it a nest and it will be better off then. For sure. And we do have rehabbers in the area, um, but we don't have very many. And really right now they just get, you know, inundated with calls. So we we really try to filter the animals that we are going to be taking to the rehabbers for for ones that might actually be successful or um, perhaps animals that are you know, more protected than uh, like a robin per se, you know, if we just can't be taking every single bird to them. So we try to try to filter that for them the best we can. I was going to ask, when is it appropriate to take an animal to a rehabber? So um, we take uh, some raptors go to rehabbers. We have um, really only two in the area and they kind of tend to specialize. So if it's something, you know, hawks or owls or something that they still look like they have a pretty good chance, then uh, we might take those if we have the availability to do so. And are those usually adult? Uh, or does uh, it just depend? Yeah, it's kind of kind of just depends. So like Jess was talking about earlier, uh, it's important to remember that birds of all size will uh, become fledglings, you know, so even a hawk will leave the nest and they still can't fly and they'll still spend up to a week on the ground. And uh, the, the biggest thing that we, we hear from people when we tell them, you know, that's probably a fledgling, it's fine, the parents are in the area, they're like, no, this bird is way too big to be a fledgling. And, you know, they're full grown before they ever even leave the nest. And it's amazing that it's a foot tall bird and it still can't fly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of just a case by case basis. So there are some some younger birds, but um, injured birds, if, if we can help, we'll try to. This is really good information. I feel like some people just don't quite grasp it and that's usual because I mean they're baby animals and you want to help them but um it's really good information that I just don't know if some people understand and right. one thing when Jess was just talking it reminded me of last year when we had the owls that on the is camera seriously the what I was about to say okay. yeah I know that was, yeah, that's that's we were getting all they were big mm-hmm. I mean and you could see them on the camera and then they once they jumped yeah and we all here knew it was going to be okay, but we actually had the camera up. In um, And for those of you who are listening and didn't know this, we did a live cam last year of be, uh, two, it was weird, it was two female great horned owls nesting next to each other. Some of the eggs hatched. Everyone watched the, the young owlets grow, and they had named them. They were super attached. And then the day that they... Um, fledged or one of them fledged Mm -hmm. we were like don't do it don't jump because we knew that we knew it would be okay but we knew people were gonna go crazy and then they were like "Uh, they did you (laughs) remember yeah yeah Yeah, and then we roped off the area and so everybody because people wanted to go save it and then finally we took pictures from the ground and that was that was that was way up there where mm-hmm. they were nesting and it jumped down and we took all these pictures of it from the ground and it was just like Hanging happy out. as it could Hanging be. Out in the shade and <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's, that's something pretty amazing about birds is, you know, when, when they're young like that, they're covered in these down feathers. Birds don't weigh very much as it is. So they can fall from pretty extraordinary heights and be just completely unharmed. You know, they could fall like uh, geese seem to like to nest in just the worst places all the time. They're right. always on top of parking garages oh, yeah. or uh, weird structures in the sunlight. And uh, people are often concerned about, you know, the goslings getting down to the ground, but they can fall from multiple stories, especially if there's grass or leaves below, they'll be just fine. 
And I remember uh, David Catalano, one of our biologists, he explained it as they're like little balls of fluff, fluff. that yeah. just bounce. <laughs> so you brought up geese, uh, and I'm sure it's waterfowl in general nesting in weird spots. Do you guys get a lot of calls about that? People wondering if they should move the nest? Yes, absolutely. We get lots of calls about, hey, this bird nested in this weird location. What can I do about it? Um, and I think it's really important to remember that those birds picked that location for one reason or the other, whether it be they feel very safe there, um, it's close to a food source or water, whatever it is, they picked that spot for a reason. And so they need to just kind of let that bird take care of itself. Also, it's um, illegal to move those nests. So that's oh, another that's thing to keep in mind. Oh, that's also important. So they that, know what they're that's doing. That's a great point, though. The, their parents picked that spot or their mom picked that spot. So mm -hmm. there must be something good about that. Yep. Let's get into that a little bit more after this quick break, but we're out of the time for the first half of the show. So we'll be right back. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today we have the Jesses. We're going to call you the Jesses to talk about urban wildlife. And um, a lot of the calls we're getting are involving young wildlife so that's kind of the theme of today is young wildlife so before the break we were saying waterfowl typically nest in really weird locations but at the same time you should just respect it yeah and it's really all birds I've gotten calls about birds nesting in wreaths before in garages just really odd locations um, but it's really important to keep in mind that moving those nests or destroying those nests if there are eggs or young in those nests is illegal um federally illegal um so we kind of enforce that but also the federal government does so don't do it exactly don't <laughs> do it if there is a bird that is starting to build a nest somewhere where it's shouldn't um like on a tractor or something like that you can destroy the nest up until there are eggs in that nest and then it is protected so it's really important to keep that in mind especially going into spring uh, making sure that there's nothing around that area what yeah i had no i was just before we move on i had a cousin that left her christmas wreath up <laughs> too long this year and then they had a bird nest in it, and then she used that as her excuse to, like, leave it up. <laughs> obviously, leave it up longer. And so then they used the back door for, like, of their house for, That's I don't know, however long. That's <laughs> Yeah, because they didn't want to move it. Well, oh. they got little girls, and so they just watched the nest and stuff, and then they hatched. And How do you know when you leave your Christmas decorations up too long? <laughs> right. Birds <laughs> are starting to hatch them. Yep. There's them. a little bit of a sign there, for <laughs> yeah. sure. So, um... So, so yeah. So when can you move it though? Like say you're, you have a, you mentioned a tractor. What if you're working on this long-term project? What do you do in that situation? Um, or is that not a question for us? Uh, so like Jess was saying, you know, up until there's eggs in it, if you see them starting to build the nest and it's going to be a piece of equipment that, um, that you're going to need to use, then definitely rip it out before it's too well established. But, um, if it's 
you know, something that you absolutely have to use. I have gone out to a construction site before and, and moved a nest off of it into another area. And it was really funny. It was all of these super gruff and tough, you know, big old construction guys. And it was just this little finch that was nesting on their equipment. And he was really super concerned about it. And he called me later in the day to say that the mom had found the new le- nest and he was all kinds of excited about mm, that's it. Really <laughs> so again, you know, there's no cut and dry with urban wildlife it's always going to be a case-by-case basis if you can if you can leave the equipment and just let them finish out their nesting cycle you know that's going to be the best option Um, but definitely just try to be proactive and take care of it before before it becomes a, a federal issue you know but what's what's really amazing about urban wildlife is these animals are really well adapted to living in urban areas you know they can use all of these human man-made structures and make that part of their life and that's pretty incredible for us to be able to to watch from you know such a short distances get to be a part of that so really just i think you should just cherish that you you get to experience that cherish it and trust the mother yes yeah. <laughs> absolutely yeah. they picked that spot for a reason mm-hmm. so nice um, something else we were talking about during the break and even a little bit before we started the podcast what are that a lot you get a lot of calls of waterfowl and baby ducklings and their moms walking across the road. Um, what advice would you give? <laughs> um, so, yeah, ducks in general can uh, make their nests mi- a couple miles away from a water source. Um, so sometimes they have a pretty long journey that they have to go on. Um, and especially in an urban environment like Reno, they're going to have to cross roads. So we definitely ask people, please don't get out of your car to stop traffic. We don't want to endanger anyone's lives. That's number one rule. Don't endanger your own life. Um, but if you are driving around somewhere where you know that there might be wildlife crossing, slow down, be alert, make sure that you're on the lookout. Um, especially like Virginia Lake area, there's going to be ducks crossing all the time. It's a pretty slow um, speed there, but you always just want to make sure that you're on the lookout um, so you're not hurting anything if you can. Exactly. And then in these areas, I feel like people are kind of used to seeing this at this point. So no, it's spring this time of year. Be ready for it. Yeah. And again, they can be like a mile out from a water source. So even some places where you might not expect to see little ducklings crossing the road, they still might be crossing the road. So just be vigilant um, during this time. Okay. Yeah. I would think in Southern Nevada where it's pretty dry, there's not a whole lot of water around. Yeah. uh, In Southern Nevada, they'll use, you know, any sort of water source that they can get get a hold of and oftentimes that is uh, pools, you know, (laughs) in people's backyards and whatnot. so definitely, if you know you have a water source on your property, if you have a constructed pond or anything, it's very possible that you are going to be attracting wildlife of all kinds. Uh, you always got to be thinking about when you're you know, landscaping your backyard, what kind of habitat are you creating? If you have lots of shrubs and trees, that's going to be great shelter for a lot of animals. If you have a source of water, especially in the desert, that's going to be a huge attractant for a lot of animals. So if you do have a pool anywhere in the state, it's very possible that at some point you could have some, some visiting birds and just to be be prepared for that and make sure that they have a way to get out of get out of the pool but uh, if you've got a water source and you really don't want them in there definitely cover it when it's not in use so you don't have any unexpected yeah. visitors <laughs> yeah that's a great point if you think of attractants like water in nevada is pretty scarce mm-hmm. right but that could i mean that's probably the number one attractant yeah absolutely and if you've got fish in there then you can expect raccoons as well <laughs> right yeah food chain we yep. have that at um at home 
it's actually in California, but same thing. We had a <laughs> pond with fish and we'd get attached to the fish and then a raccoon would come and visit and yeah. then there wouldn't be any more fish. Yep. Yeah. It's so, a feast. In a yeah. <laughs> Easy meal right there. Right. Yeah. Full of fish. Yeah. That's one of the, you know, like I was saying that animals are so well adapted to, to living in urban environments because there's such easy sources of food. You know, we, we kind of lay out a buffet for animals and we don't even that's realize it. Yeah. You know, when you leave cat or dog food outside, there's all kinds of animals that'll take advantage of that. Um, so always got to be thinking about the food chain and what you might attract by feeding birds in your backyard or something. And you said make sure there's a way for them to get out of a pool. How would you yeah, do that? Yeah, just um, if, you know, a mom brings the ducklings in and there's no rocks or anything for her to climb on, even just, um, you know, a board that's kind of floating uh, from the top of the pool to the edge so that they, there's kind of a ramp for them to get out. There's there's things you can buy on the internet that are really fancy that you don't, you don't <laughs> yeah. need to get <laughs> that involved, but they do make them. <laughs> Wildlife, yep. they're pretty simple. Yeah. <laughs> they are, they are. I mean, they, you just need like a little ramp. When I was a kid, we had this... Uh, concrete thing that my mom had in the backyard but i would go over there and there would always be lizards in there mm-hmm. and so then i'd go over there and catch the lizards and let them go but then eventually just made a ramp right so they can get out so they could just jump out themselves but it was my, my little trap right <laughs> you had a lizard pitfall <laughs> trap <laughs> yeah <laughs> on accident i think it is important that you noted just when when you're say you're redoing your backyard understand if you're going to be buying who knows what you're buying that's going to attract wildlife, mm-hmm. but just keep that in mind. Yeah, um, and some people want that. So, and yeah. that's, that's fantastic. If you can make a wildlife friendly backyard, that makes it a lot easier on, on the animals and uh, just got to be prepared for any of the visitors that might come. <laughs> and some people they call and we get it on um, Facebook too. We've noticed it and they act shocked to see certain wildlife in their backyard or in an urban area. But again, it's, it's where we live. Absolutely. You know, they they're super smart and, and they'll take advantage of any source of food that they can find. So yeah, we've got coyotes in downtown Reno, so they're, they're really well adapted to, to living among us. Exactly. And speaking of coyotes. Yes, we get <laughs> lots of coyote calls. People are generally very shocked that um, we have coyotes that live in these urban environments, but really our cities make a great place for them to live. Um, a lot of the times we're attracting rodents, which they love to eat. Um, we put out garbage. They're omnivores. They're going to eat anything. So having our garbage out, that's going to attract them in. Um, really anything can attract a coyote in, especially if we leave out pet food, have bird seed on the ground that rodents are getting after. Um, so we definitely have them around. And right now there are, um, they're denning up and they have their little coyote pups. So it's kind of the same thing with any wildlife, if you see a coyote puppy, you want to make sure to leave it alone, leave the area, give it its space. If you know that there is a den in the area, um, always make sure that you're walking your dog on a leash. Um, they become pretty territorial uh, to protect their puppies. Um, and in general, in Nevada, you should always watch, walk your dog on a leash. But right now in particular, it's a big, a big importance for sure. I was going to say something that's important about the tips you're giving is this really applies year round right now it's spring so wildlife is a bit more active but um i mean these are tips people should be using year round anyway absolutely yeah they're always a good rule of thumb for sure nice and then um we have a few more minutes left what anything else you guys want to cover when it comes to urban wildlife frequent calls and it's not going to be spring and summer forever so i mean is there frequent calls you get in other times of the year um so well as we move into summer uh rattlesnakes are going to be a big one um 
and we get a lot of calls on rattlesnakes, but they don't often turn out to be rattlesnakes. More often than not, they are uh, gopher snakes or bull snakes, which look very similar. Um, they just don't have the rattle. So again, it always comes back to the habitat and, and where you live. You know, if you're right on the edge of town and you don't have any sort of fencing around your yard and then behind you is just BLM land, you gotta be prepared that you have the possibility to have a rattlesnake in your backyard. Um, and that they're actually really great rodent control, you know, if you yeah, have, that's true. yeah, if, if you have a lot of rodents in your yard, snakes are, are great for keeping those populations down, which helps keep disease down. So they're, they're really a great animal to have. And it's best to just, you know, if you know that they're going to be in the area, just kind of be prepared for that. Having a fence around your yard is a good way to try to keep them out. Um, but they're pretty crafty little creatures, so it's kind of hard to exclude them entirely. And again, if you have rocks and brush mm -hmm. and whatever you may have made your yard all pretty with, those guys could be under that. Yeah, absolutely. So. When you're out hiking, um, it's always good to, you know, be vigilant. Again, always keep your dog on a leash. No matter what time of year it is, where you're going, I, I always suggest it to people. There's just no way to, to be able to control your dog, you know, when they're out 20, 25 feet ahead of you. Even if they are a really good listener, I still know that my dog would see a rabbit and he would bolt and I would not see him for a long time. Or cows, as we know. <laughs> <laughs> cows? <laughs> yes, I, I lost him for like an hour one day chasing cows. But always keep your dog on a leash and be prepared for all kinds of wildlife. Um, you know, if you're going hiking up at Lake Tahoe, be prepared for bears. Make sure that you have all of your um, scented things packed up really well. And then if you're out in the desert, you know, be prepared for snakes. Keep your dog on a leash and try to step on top of rocks instead of beside them. Don't be sticking your hand in any dark holes that you can't see what's <laughs> underneath there. Awesome. Well, we're pretty much out of time, but Jess Height, thank you so much for dealing with all those urban wildlife calls for so long and congrats on the new position. Thank you. And Jess Wolf, good job so far <laughs> <laughs> and congrats. And thank you. It's going to yeah, be a fun summer and spring. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of good info. Thank you two so much and thank you everyone for listening. That does it for this Nevada Wild. again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.